there's one time I, where you say we, but we all know it's going to be you. So just say I, because Artie does not look at these. Cut. We don't want any bitterness on the <laughs> podcast. Get your head right. I'm Rob. And I'm Artie. And welcome to Tradesplaining, a podcast that tries to make sense of international trade, business, and expat life without putting you to sleep. On episode 44, we'll be talking about sticking it to China again, trade pivoting away from China. Yes, it's finally turning. I'm starting to see a trend. And the sound of a tree falling in Geneva. Does anybody hear it? Sounds like money. And later on, we'll talk to shipping guru Jan Hoffman. It's his third episode on why supply chains are lightening up, why the big shippers are going alone, and also he'll give us a tip on the biggest event of the century. And we'll throw in a few points on listener feedback and sneak in a news roundup. So let's get into it before another ship gets stuck somewhere. Welcome, everybody, to episode 44. It's the atomic number of ruthenium, uh, not the former Supreme Court justice. It's actually a rare transition metal, which belongs to the platinum group on the periodic table. It's also probably used in watches. Thanks, everybody. Funnily enough. So yep. check. Ding. 44 is also the French department Loire Atlantique, wherever that is, and uh, the country code for the UK. Go figure. I don't know why those two things would have in common. Thanks, Brexit. Yeah, they'll probably change it after that. Wyoming was also the 44th state to be admitted to the Union. I, I love Yellowstones. I also recently found out it's become like a veritable Switzerland. It's like the new Delaware when it comes to hiding your money. Barack Obama was the 44th president, my favorite. And 44 is also how old Rob was when Alexander Graham Bell invented the phone company, right after he stole it from an Italian guy. I think when we got a the kid's phone, this was a huge, huge episode In what my was life. It? You know what else is interesting about 44? No. It's the number of times that you can subscribe to the podcast, like last week, but this time only once more. Smash that subscribe button. Please, please. Uh, you can also, it also depends, I guess, on how much Adderall you have in your system. Write to us at uh, podcast.what? Yeah, just make sure you catch the next episode <laughs> coming out very soon. You can find us wherever you get your podcast. It helps a lot if you subscribe to all of them. So why not leave us a review as well? How do you subscribe, Artie? I don't subscribe myself. You click the subscribe button. And then if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, for example, which are the main ones. They're real good. They're just, real good you ones. You just click subscribe and play. Okay. Very good. Thank you. And that's how Rob listened to his first episode of Trades Planning. I decided know, to listen to every episode. That's a big step for that, me. That is a big step. You also started laughing at your own jokes. I think listener feedback, I'm giving you my own listener feedback, were hilarious. I actually was <laughs> sitting there in my office listening and laughing, and then people coming in, and I was saying, <coughs> uh, I, was just, uh, I was a little choked up. My wife made a joke. Yeah, wife. You'll be happy to know that there is some big news. We'll get to listener feedback, but first, I think there's some big news. That is that Manchester United is for sale. We had talked a bit offline about how IPOs were not really happening and mergers and acquisitions were down, but people are still buying. And that It's is like a, a fire sale thing where they club. really need cash because they're about to go bankrupt. I'm just happy that they're selling. It may be that Qatar buys us. I don't know why I'm saying us, but... I, I don't know either. Yeah. But I, but I just want to let you know in case you were... Well, great. I mean, I'm really interested in that because it's a very overpriced company and I'm hoping value investors will come in and knock the value of it down. Four billion is a steal. Or six, whatever. They're, they're not say. really good at soccer. I feel like you're not interested in anything I'm interested in that's not trade-related. Because <laughs> I bring up the watches, you shoot me down. I open up emotionally to you, and you jab. 
This is what you do. If we were talking about Man City, I'd be like, I get it. And this is why we're gonna have. I'm gonna have a new co-host next episode. Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing your obituary as we speak. <laughs> Moving on. What else have you been hearing, Rob? Well, we talked a lot uh, last episode or some episode about ChatGPT and uh, the uses, abuses, and things about it. And AI is coming, we know that. So we had a very important learning about that recently. Vanderbilt University, they decided to write a two-sentence tweet about a very sad event. And they asked ChatGPT to do so. This was about a shooting at Michigan State. And unfortunately, the tweet, when it came out, said, in small print, courtesy of ChatGPT or some such. So folks, I just want to let you know, when you're using it, maybe you're borrowing a little bit from it, you know, just like you did in high school, change a few words and by gosh... Make sure the tweet doesn't say ChatGPT. Basically, what he means is if you're going to plagiarize, which none of us ever did, we didn't just do it right. Do it right. I mean, use uh, Bing. Use Bing. <laughs> <laughs> but Artie, you know, look here. What have you been hearing? So I have a, a couple of, um, like, this is a good segue into listener feedback because I had a couple of good things that came my way. One listener wrote, this is actually just as we're recording this podcast. That, quote, I had my morning coffee listening to your latest podcast episode, and I had a joyous moment laughing. And I've been sharing with all my expat friends. They also finished it with uh, FLM, which is a shorthand Albanian for thank you. Is it? Yeah. Okay. So it's an Albanian. So FLM. It was an Albanian who works in Geneva. And listened to our podcast because she heard us, our interview with uh, Federico. Okay. So I thought that was heartening. Also, there was one more. This was following on from also our last episode where somebody wrote us that good episode of Trades Playing last week, quote, tell Rob that I lost all respect for him after he mentioned Kukai, which is a terrible, terrible example. I'm thinking he's not French. Well, this is very disturbing, obviously. I felt like this was a good example of a mid-market French clothing apparel firm that's not all out of business. Them? Isn't that all of them? And... Uh, <laughs> And what I beg you to do is go to Twitter and see my selfie with the Kukai flagship store and I'm, in Geneva. I'm listening to you say this as I hold up my Hermes bag <laughs> and, and belt. Kukai doesn't make watches. And jacket. So that's really the issue. They don't make plastic watches. You know watches. who does make watches? Hermes. The scarf people? Yeah, the scarf people. And the belt and the bag people. Belt and... They have the Birkin bag, don't they? That's Hermes? Yeah, that's Hermes. Is it? It's the Birkin bag. That red bag? Why am I asking you... Anyway, um, it's a 90s movie. <laughs> I think that does it for our, whatever this segment for is. For whatever this segment is. This is a good way to get out of this segment. <laughs> Goodbye segment. We're going to leave you with the thought of Birkin bags. Somebody should have written a script today. Somebody did write a script. <laughs> it was me, but you know, I'm only on 50%, so I didn't finish the script. And <laughs> as our listeners know from last episode, 50% of nothing is still, still nothing. nothing. Thanks. <laughs> Well, then, we're just going to jump right into the important stories of this episode, because as always, there's plenty to talk about. And I kind of feel like I say this every episode, but I'm digressing. The first big story that we want to look at is that some U.S. politicians are really convinced that they're going to be sticking it to China, which is something we probably haven't heard before. So the Senate wants to take away China's permanent access to the U.S. market and bring back in an annual Senate confirmation hearing, which should probably not be a circus if we go by past history the last five, ten years. There's also a bit on how U.S. states are going to stop Chinese from buying land. This is an interesting one. I think, Rob, you'll talk a little bit about this. But also, my favorite was that Liz Trust, everybody's favorite former prime minister. She did minister, real good as a prime minister, yeah. She did good. I think she had, like, there was a Scaramucci, which is a period of time, which is 11 days. I think there's a trust. <laughs> she did. Yeah. It's like 40 days or yeah. basically as long as it takes a head of uh, lettuce to die. Yeah. 
she wants to create a NATO to counter China. And the last bit which you can get into, Rob, is that the Chinese have decided they need to push back. This one I particularly liked. So tell us a bit more and enlighten me. Yeah, I feel like it's been a big week for people thinking of new and different ways to get, you know, stick it to China. So Rick Scott, Tom Cotton, and a bunch of other folks in the Senate, primarily Republicans, let's say. No coincidence. That's not what we're talking about right now. It's not political. Would, would like to take away China's designation as normal trading status. So this would mean they would go back to annual approvals, which was pre-2001. And that meant there's a Jackson-Bannock amendment where the Senate would have to confirm every year that they passed a bunch of different hurdles. And they would add in additional hurdles. You know, if the Chinese do this, the Chinese do that, if they send a balloon, obviously. <laughs> and all of this would mean that they would no longer get most favored nation status under WTO and so on. So this would be a huge step. What so is the, the alternative? Is it well, the, least the favored status? It's not good favorite <laughs> nation status. Exactly. So the question is, I listened to a podcast was talking about this. They said, if it comes for a vote, it's going to be hard to vote against this thing. So will it get to a vote? And that's kind of the Senate, obviously Democratic, the House is Republican. But the question will be, if it does get to a vote, it could easily get to a position where everybody's got to vote for it. And then we would have a circus, as you said, annually. So that could be quite interesting. Or Let's fun. see. I would say it's probably not going to happen, but it's new, different, and fun, as we call it. Ratings monster. I'm sure everybody's it. just trying to dribble out the clock on that one. Second thing is a bunch of, and led by the U.S. state of, and I get all these guys mixed up. This one, South Dakota, but also Virginia and a bunch of Western states are looking at restricting land purchases by foreigners, but especially, of course, Chinese. And the reason they're doing this is because they've watched Yellowstone recently, and they've been actually thinking, maybe they could just use a little common sense to legislate. Luckily for them, nobody wants to buy anything in Wyoming. <laughs> it's big and flat, <laughs> folks. South, one you know, you can't have it. You can't have it. You can't buy a bunch of missile tubes. So this is another one where people are just kind of inventing stuff. Of course, you know, folks do want to buy a land out there. I love their Liz Truss thing because, as you say, she didn't have a great premiership, as we call it. But right. on the other hand, she's saying that, that of course, there's the third regimes which are start trying to take away our Miller time. They basically. hate us because of our freedom. So, so we want to see, she says, we want to see the G7 acting as an economic NATO to make sure we are not allowing freedom and democracy to be undermined by Chinese economic policy. It does sound the kind of, she got something there rhetorically. I'm not sure what an economic NATO would do. Like the current NATO is supplying like planes and bombs and guns. What is it that an economic NATO would do. And there's a part, NATO says, if you invade one of us, you invade all of us. So what is the similar, like NATO principle for, for economics? And then the last thing is we got apparently right now, a bunch of court cases in China all went south for the US. Mm. Chinese courts all at the same time said, hmm, I think Boeing's patent on airplanes as a, as a kind of hypothetical isn't really a patent. That, so we can take it. That's surprising. So where they used to use local content requirements and they used to use requirements that people have a local partner and so on. Now it's just, you know, directly they challenge a patent and the Chinese court says, nah, we don't really buy it. I think all of these stories are, well, interesting and funny to poke fun at and make jokes, specifically the one about the head of lettuce. I think they all link to the fact that we're seeing again, this a more gradual escalation of relations between the U.S. and China. And I guess you would probably throw in the U.S. and Russia at this point, and this is just leading to all sorts of headaches, whether it's the economic front. I guess countries have made the decision that connecting supply chains and having these supply chain links is not going to come at any cost necessarily. So we will have to make decisions on disconnecting supply chains, whether that's 
moving out of China, how we share our grain, where we get our natural gas, etc. The other thing I think we're seeing is that this is going to lead to all sorts of other problems later down the road. So whether that's these countries working together on things like whether it's, I don't know, refugees, we had Alessandra on a couple of weeks ago, or things like ballistic missiles, which is kind of a big deal because nuclear war is not something that... It's not good. We don't like it. It's not great from what I heard from... Because you were around, you were in your prime when the, the whole salt started, right? Yeah, no. yeah, I was one of those negotiators in 1972. You, well, you look good for your age. Salt one. You look good for your age. <laughs> yeah, me and McGovern. Anyway, yeah. um, so all of this, we're seeing... Alan the, Dulles. We're, whoever that is, the airport. Um, That's we're, the guy. We're seeing, <laughs> we're seeing these things start to slowly unravel, or at least it seems so from afar. But I guess when you put it all together, it's just a really gradual escalation of these things. And I guess that nobody really knows what the future holds, but it does not portend well, I think. Well, I don't know. I mean, let's see. So it's fun to go back to 2001 and see the analysis then, for instance, by the Brookings Institution, which said giving permanent normal trading status to China was in U.S. interest, massively in the U.S. interest, because it was going to support reformers. Delete. We're control, alt, delete. <laughs> yes, exactly. Control, it's, alt, delete. It's still on the internet. I'm telling you. Bing, delete this. And so 25 years later or 20 years later, you can see maybe a different scenario developing. That is to say, China didn't change as much as maybe thought it would. On the other hand, it's been a massive boon to trade and a massive boon to U.S. consumers. So you figure it out. I mean, it segues to the next story, which yeah. is that we see already effects. So this year, Bangladesh looks like it's about to take over the crown from China as the biggest exporter of apparel into the European Union. So gradually, you and I talked about during the pandemic, things hadn't changed yet. Right. Well, it was also very still massive trade. Yeah. It was still a very short time frame to look at things. The links were, were still so important that they hadn't changed yet. But we see it gradually changing. So the biggest exporter of apparel into the EU is going to be Bangladesh potentially this year. So it's step by step. China is still a very, very big trading partner. But we do see maybe effects even in the statistics in 2023. I think looking at it from afar, what's most interesting for me is that the fact that okay, you have Bangladesh, which is more labor intensive, low tech, if you will. But on the other hand, you also have Apple, who we talked about, I think, moving its production outside of China to nearby India. So you're not only getting labor-intensive industries moving out of China or starting to, if you will, but you're also seeing the high-tech industries do the same. And then this is also comes at the same time that we've talked quite a lot, I should say, about Taiwan, how the chip semiconductors, etc., how these play into to these bilateral tensions, if I can use that expression. So that's the big thing that sticks out to me is the fact that, again, it's coming across the spectrum. The other thing which I had mentioned and I'd like you to talk a bit more about is the fact that climate is now, I guess, more becoming a thing and the institutions which weren't really concerned with it back in the day. So David Malpass, who is the head of the World Bank, has announced that he's uh, stepping down. This has raised the question of how the climate transition will factor into the World Bank's work moving forward. Yeah, definitely. So it's becoming increasingly, we know, a reality. Malpass maybe smoke, maybe misspoke or maybe he was a climate denier, but what happened was... No, 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 no. He said, I'm not a scientist. Who's not a scientist? Everybody's not a scientist. <laughs> so whatever it was, I mean, it clearly the, the page had turned, and for him to even not have a good response in his arsenal wasn't good enough. So even before he announced his resignation, he'd started a huge reflection there. And the Financial Times article says, avoiding the worst effects of climate change will be $125 trillion adjustment. So a lot. It's a bunch. 
and no one country is going to be able to do it. And we even saw recently an evaluation of an EU climate program that had a couple hundred million dollars associated with it. And they said it, evaluators, auditors said it had no real impact. And part of the reason is because it's all technical assistance and not investment. So everybody's realizing you need huge numbers, you need actual investment. And already Malpass, before he left, said, okay, sorry about that thing that I said. And let's get this thing rolling so we can actually start focusing all of the banks or a lot of the banks' investment power on the green transition. And that's already a really big step. And I think it was a kind of rallying point. We saw Al Gore, we saw Janet Yellen, the U.S. Treasury Secretary, all come out at this time saying, you know, what Malpass had said was not on, but also taking it as an opportunity to say we need to shift our global institutions in that direction and our bilateral aid. So I think with the bank also, what they've said is, and this is a key part of the Financial Times article, is that they feel like the World Bank has been very conservative in its lending. So if you just take a little more risk in terms of big projects, you could leverage so much more capital. And that's what, I think that's where we may be going is to say, we know this is a global emergency. We know that there's an urgency here. So let's stop being so much bankers and let's start being more development guys and go a little bit further out on a limb. And I think all of the shareholder countries of the bank can support that at this stage. And there's a consensus developing. In the words of the Beatles, we can work it out. We can work it out. I, I didn't ask for the song. We can work it out. I think this is a hopeful I'm hopeful that something comes of this because we've seen up to this point there's been this tension, to put it lightly, between developed and developing countries on who bears the costs, if you will, of this climate transition. So I think this brings me some kind of hope that we may be getting closer to resolution on that. I think we can all agree, I mean, I'm not a scientist, to quote David Malpass, <laughs> but uh, we kind of need a solution really quickly. <laughs> Thanks, folks. Good night. We've just decided to cancel the podcast. We'd like to welcome Jan Hoffman to the interview once more. This is his third time on the podcast, so it makes him a returning guest and all-star of Tradesplay. Maybe a shareholder. Shareholder or both. Uh, Jan is actually the chief of the trade logistics brands here in Geneva at UNCTAD. That's the UN Conference on Trade and Development. Jan joined UNCTAD in 2003 and became chief of the organization's trade logistics branch in 2016. My old job. Jan co-edited the quarterly transport and trade facilitation newsletter and also worked part-time for the family trade shipping business Hoffman Shipping based in Hamburg, Germany. Jan studied in Germany, the UK and Spain and holds a doctorate degree in economics from the University of Hamburg, Germany. My old job. <laughs> so Jan, thanks for joining us once again. It's been, I would say, the better part of two years since we last spoke. A lot has changed. Why don't you tell us, have we missed anything since then? What's the latest? Have any ships been stuck anywhere that we haven't noticed? There's just, no, there was a ship stuck somewhere getting out of the port of Singapore. But what really is amazing how what goes up also goes down. And just as many other of the companies that gained during the crisis, during the pandemic, the stock prices of the social media, of the Spotify, and so on, they went through the roof and they all fell back. And the same happened to the freight rates, the container shipping costs, which had gone up fivefold and are now almost back to where they were before. Now, they're still not quite back. And like, look at the big chart. Says, oh, it looks like we are down. But if we hadn't had this extreme surge over the last couple of years, 
we would now still consider them high. I mean, the container freight rates are still one third higher than 2019. And to charter a container ship is still two thirds higher than it was 2019. But if you look over the last six months, it's like free fall. So the, so this free fall of freight rates and charter rates and so on, it coincides with a search in order books. And, and interestingly, we are here in Geneva and the now biggest shipping company in the world is MSC, Mediterranean Shipping Company, who are here in Geneva. And the owner, Mr. is considered now the richest man in Switzerland, thanks to the last two, three years, where the company continued providing services at very, very high prices. Let me ask you also about, so the surge went up in terms of pricing, but also demand. Mm. And it takes a little while to build ships and train people and ice caps are melting and so on. So people are getting ready to ship more and more. Mm. And are now people bringing ships online we don't need? That's exactly the fear. Now, ships have been ordered. MSC has an order book of new ships, which is as many ships as the fifth biggest company, Hapag Lloyd, has running at this moment. Mm. They have more ships on order than the number two, three, and four combined have on order. So they really go for this big volume. And this combines with another story, you asked what's happening. So in the shipping circles, what we find fascinating, MSC and Maersk have divorced. And the ships are the kids. And the ships are the kids. And now MSC (laughs) will have many new little and big ships. And there is fear that there will be overall a huge oversupply in the short to medium term. And Maersk is going a somewhat different strategy. They are not so much investing and having more and more ships horizontally, but they are more investing vertically in other services, in freight forwarding, in logistic services. They want to really provide the door-to-door services. And this different approach, one of them, MSC here in our Geneva, is going for economies of scale, providing services on their own to everybody, while Maersk goes more deep in the type of services, but not that much. They're also growing. They also have an order book and they're also expanding, but not quite the same scope. So these different strategies then led to a divorce, which is quite interesting. They were thinking, what will happen? Will they do it on their own or will they just, what will happen with the other alliances, the competitors? How are they alleviating it? Because I've read stories about them, not maybe not them being MSC, but carriers and freight forwarders decommissioning certain ships in order to level off the new ships coming online so that there is not this glut. Or Exactly. Yeah. So they start, again, skipping port calls, as you said, decommissioning or idling ships. This is already now starting. And there's still many, many more ships to come online. Yeah, I think for MSC, I'm not myself MSC, I'm speculating, but if you really want to do it on your own for the first time, a big carrier offering global service from everywhere to everywhere, which in the past was not possible, you could not do this without alliance partners, without having your container on other companies' ships to provide a weekly service. You need to be really big if you want to do this on your own. And that is apparently the strategy of MSC. For them, it's medium, long-term. Yes, they know there will be an oversupply of capacity. But for their own strategy to be able to do this on their own without having to worry about competition authorities, without having to worry about 
coordination and whatever. Just do it on their own. They need, I think, it's the, the right thing. If you have the strategy, it's not too many ships. <laughs> Could this mean they're also getting rid of dirty ships? So ships are both polluting in terms of the fuel that they're running, but also polluting yeah. in the water. And they're inefficient. The average old ship is uh, using a lot more fuel than the new ship. And we see all sorts of paintings of massive sail ships and ships that are made of popcorn. I don't know. I'm not throwing this <laughs> let out. Me, let, let me answer for you on <laughs> no, but they've planted one tree per ship. <laughs> <laughs> to offset this. Yeah. No, so the fact is the ships that are coming online now are being delivered. They still use the old fuel. They're not yet using fuel that is not emitting CO2. So it is, it is a problem. So in the longer term, we do fear that there will be not be enough ships. So, so it sounds paradox. We are seeing there's too much order book the demand, because you had also asked about this, so the whole printing money and the whole stimulus packages, that is now over. So demand is not growing anymore. It's decreasing to some extent. At the same time, all these ships come on. That's short term. But in the long term, because of what you just mentioned, this need to have different ships, and we do not yet have these different ships. We do not yet know what will be the future IMO regulation, what will be the future carbon price or other economic measures. So to some extent, investors are waiting there withholding. So like we do not see the ships that have not been ordered. Yeah. But if we had certainty about the future regulation, the future energy, the future carbon price, then we would have had even more new ships being ordered now. So ship owners, investors are also waiting. So I guess that brings me to, to the next question. We had talked, last time we had spoken, you had mentioned that developing countries were losing out because of this super high demand at the time. Ships that were bound for the west coast of Africa were then rerouted between to make up Correct. for the demand between, I think it was China and the U.S. and the west coast and the U.S. Have, de have developing countries sort of, are they still missing out or has this rebalanced at all? Yeah, no, it is this difference of connectivity of fleet deployment has gotten better. And we also see that prices are going down. Now, just as we saw this delay, we said order like around a year now between higher freight rates leading to our simulated 1.5 percentage points additional inflation. By the same token, now the freight rates are down, but it will take like another year until we see the lower prices. And these prices, the impact on consumer prices, on import prices, they were particularly bad for the small island developing states. So we do hope and expect that this really terrible negative impact for the families, for the consumers, where prices had gone up 20, 30%, we hope this will now also go down. And if our previous simulation was right in terms of the increase, I'm optimistic our simulation now will also be true like we will have less negative impact both on the prices and also the whole connectivity the fleet deployment that you asked listeners are actually waiting with bated breath to know if rob's bike did eventually arrive two years later my bike arrived 30 percent more expensive though yeah and it's been used 30 percent less than anticipated well <laughs> that's not supply chain's fault it's called willpower my friend yeah yeah exactly yeah due to the pandemic i was uh using uber <laughs> <laughs> so i think you brought out a couple of them but as we look you know we're kind of still early in the year we can still say happy new year early-ish 
kind yeah. of. What, any other trends that we haven't talked about that uh, we should be looking for? I mean, for instance, what's the over-under on the Suez getting blocked again? I hope not. <laughs> now, we do see, of course, what has happened in between since we last spoke was the war in Ukraine. Mm. And although for container shipping, that doesn't sound that important, it really had an impact on food exports and food prices and food shipping prices. And it's not just that now food prices went up. It is also that transport prices went up and the countries that used to buy from Ukraine, they now have to buy from further away. And the biggest impact is really on the ton miles. Now, not only has the, the price to use a ship for one day gone up, but you need to use that ship many more days. So that really had a strong impact on food prices, which we analyzed a lot in Langtat, and which then also led to the Black Sea Grain Initiative, which got the ships back with diplomatic efforts and with Turkey and the UN. And we are quite proud of this, that we, as Anktat, contributed to the analysis, to the proposal, to this, which then helped to lower the burden for many, many families who had paid much more for their food due to this war. And half of the increase, what they pay for their food, half of it was due to higher shipping costs because mm. of the higher costs per day per ship and the additional days we needed. So this the whole issue of shipping costs and the economy, yes, we now have fear of recession in some countries and economy is not going as well. So demand is also not growing anymore as much as we had seen with the stimulus packages. But a lot of this demand has to go over longer distance. So for the shipping prices and the shipping business, it doesn't look quite as bad as one might think. No, if, you, if you get the LNG and the oil from Qatar or from Trinidad instead of from, from Rafa through pipeline, or you get the grain then from Brazil and the US to Egypt instead of from Ukraine, all these is additional ton miles for the shipping industry. Perhaps more importantly, has anything changed in your mind about kebab? since we last spoke because it's, you're still an Alamir guy you still profound to Beirut mainly or Rob's desperate <laughs> yeah no I'm yeah I we have eaten kebabs more often in Beirut than in any other place so is that because of inflation you see yeah. you see <laughs> and how's the haircuts have you seen the effects of inflation well in the meantime I have had my haircut country number 76 South Sudan so that, that we make special efforts no actually the that was uh, Italy. I had been to Italy before, but I hadn't never had a haircut. Speaking so. of Italy, have you had your bike stolen since uh, <laughs> <laughs> since we last spoke? Speaking of Italy. <laughs> no, my son Beautiful. has had his bike stolen in Geneva. S since we last spoke? Yeah. Ay, ay, my ay. son has had his bike stolen since we last spoke. And it used to be my bike. So he had inherited his daddy's bike. By definition, it's now used by somebody else. Tell, uh, tell, tell them I'll bring it back. I don't need yeah. it anymore. <laughs> this is excellent. This is one of the first in a long time where there's. I mean, not excellent, of course. Where this is not a good. This is not good at all. But you know, this is like the, the the news back in the U.S. If it bleeds, it leads. <laughs> exactly. We're gonna put this up front. We're very sorry to hear about the bike, obviously. But we are going to maximize the uh, the exposure. <laughs> it's going to be the headline. <laughs> 
Well, Jan, thank you for joining us once again. So you are now a, we can call you a longtime shareholder. He's basically a shareholder. You're a shareholder. Now. This is your second time right. on, on trades planning. So thank you for, for trades planning with us. And uh, second or the third, third time? time. Ah, third excuse time. me. This is your third time. Oh, the I made a mistake. Uh, you, you, you can still uninvite me. I'm going to have, I'm going <laughs> to delete that episode. Yes, I'm exactly. <laughs> So that brings us to the next segment, Artie. This is where TS correspondent Michelle talks to us about the end of globalization or even not the end of globalization. She's examining the vibe shift. Michelle, over to you. Thanks, Rob. Well, today I'm happy to report that globalization will live another day. And keeping it alive is a friendly little sponge called Scrub Daddy. If you've been on the internet or you've somehow binged the entirety of Shark Tank, you probably know about this sponge. But basically... Unlike regular sponges that you can just use wet or dry, the scrub daddy changes texture based on the temperature of water you use, meaning it can adapt to different situations. This might be the official selling point for the sponge, but Parisians have gone crazy for the sponge in the last few months. And it's not necessarily because it's so practical or even because it looks friendly with its smiling little face, but because they've decided it's some kind of exotic luxury. If you walk into an American-themed cafe in Paris, you're less likely to see a scrub daddy sponge in the kitchen sink, and more likely to see it hanging on the wall like some rare kind of art piece bought from far away. I actually had someone say to me, no, no, don't use the good sponge, meaning the scrub daddy, use the normal one. So in a world where you have to import sponges as statement pieces for your kitchen, I would say globalization is very much alive. Shops are running out of the cute little sponge, and fakes have started to pop up on Parisian outdoor markets to meet the huge demand. Scrub Daddy France's 3,000 Instagram followers agree with the branding L'Eponge Favorite des Américains, or America's Favorite Sponge, and they really can't get enough of it. So maybe next time you go to the US, consider bringing your French friends a sponge, I guess. Although maybe use a scrub mommy instead, so they can really stand out in their kitchen. So, Michelle, thanks for keeping your eye on the vibe shift from all places east. This brings us to this week in local news. You wouldn't believe this was true unless you lived in Geneva or perhaps even anywhere else. All news is local. So, Artie, we're tracking a couple of stories. One that I think you'll be particularly interested in. This is a story of a man... A patient in a hospital who was suffering from a debilitating disease. So you're going to say ski accident. He developed, (laughs) it could be, and you didn't develop this, but I think you're thankful you didn't. He developed something called foreign accent syndrome. He developed an uncontrollable Irish accent after being diagnosed with prostate cancer. (laughs) Okay, this is, I I started to laugh when you, in the middle of your sentence, when you ended it, it was just like, no, but cannot uh, laugh. Can you think of anything more irritating? It's just like, could this be really a condition? This is a thing. Because I guess most of this podcast is about me bringing it back to myself. Most of these stories. Did you know that I lived in Dublin for about a good part of a year? Did you develop what they call foreign accent syndrome? I tried. Hi. I read The Dubliners by James Joyce. This is your most annoying foreign accent syndrome. Is <laughs> Could this be a thing? It's not a thing. It's a medical thing. I think you just no. made it up. Or the paper made no, it up no, to sell it's copies. on my computer screen as we speak. This is what we call yellow journalism. So I would say, folks, if this does happen to you, it may be disturbing. But I would say roll with it. You know, go with the Irish accent just like any of the rest of us would do. And uh, try to avoid cliches like... Erin Gobra. 
I mean, unbelievable. These are the things we can unlock in your brain and that didn't happen to you in the skiing. What's next? Hello. (laughs) (laughs) So we've got another story, and I think this is going to obviously disturb, but also entertain and delight. Sounds like trace planning. Our listenership. Another tree fell. It fell down Thursday afternoon. It was right in front of a high school, and it fell in a place that's normally frequented by students. And, and trees. Uh, this time, luckily, and I'm knocking on wood right now without knocking on wood, nobody was hurt. So I think we have some a tree falling issue here in Geneva, and I think it's time to activate some studies, some scientists, and uh, here we don't have yet a I, cause for the tree falling. I didn't hear it, so it must not have happened. If a tree falls in Geneva and it makes a noise... How much more noise will Geneva make about it? Do we have anything else? We do indeed, of course. There's also a very important, and I would say artistic performance, some would say, maybe would take a different view on this. For three hours, there was somebody dancing across the top of one of these massive cranes that's hanging over Geneva Ah. in this huge kind of construction boom we've been having. I did hear this. Ah, So uh, 60 feet in the air. The guy is singing. The guy is wearing a beautiful scarf. The guy doesn't come down for three hours, a man of 46 years. And so I've kind of identified with the guy. Because you're half his age, um, double. (laughs) Because one point I was that age. After 40, who counts? (laughs) And I think we don't know who the guy is yet. I'm going to complete the trifecta of bringing this back to me on this segment. This was right in front of my old apartment building in Geneva. And I just wish I had still lived there. Just that would have been this. an incredible evening. That would, would have, have had one li- hell of an it's, evening. It's literally in front. If people want photos of the same Kate view. Sujet. Kate Sujet. Kate just look. It's an amazing view. But now imagine there's a guy dancing, lightly clothed, in the middle of high gusting winds. And this is just exactly what I experienced in Minneapolis. We were in, a, we were in, the, tallest, we were in the tallest apartment building in Minneapolis, overlooking... I-35. This segment's about me, bringing it back to me, so this is why I'm going to cut this. Moving on. (laughs) So those are the really critical stories we'll be uh, looking at and continuing, of course, to monitor the tree situation. Well, folks, that about wraps up episode 44, brought to you by Ruthenium. B. Ginsburg. Manchester United's fire sale. Just not the glaciers. Bangladesh's apparel industry. And of course, the trees of Geneva. And I want to say thanks to Jan Hoffman for his third and perhaps most transformational appearance on the broadcast. We also want to thank our executive producer, Michelle Ogin and Valentina Saponata for highlighting the vibe shift as well as helping to produce this and every TS episode. Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already. Where can you subscribe to it, Artie? Anywhere you get your podcasts. And make sure you catch our next episode coming out very, very soon. As Rob alluded to before, uh, when he jumped a shark, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or really anywhere. Anywhere you get your You don't podcast. have to smash the button. You can just kind of click just it. Give it a love tap. Don't forget to leave us a review on the aforementioned Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Rob does read all of them, and sometimes he will read them out. You can also follow us on Twitter at Tradesplaining. Trade, it still exists. Or on Instagram at Trade.Splaining. Somebody put Grandpa back in the wheelchair. Or email us your questions, comments the old-fashioned way at trade.splaining at gmail.com. Once again, that's trade.splaining at gmail.com. I want to verify Gmail address. I want to verify that we listen responsibly. The most important thing is listen listen responsibly. responsibly.